sin. Because we are not under law, but under grace. By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. (laughs) But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God bless the hearing and reading of His Word. Would you please be seated? You know, sometimes we find ourselves on a train in life where, where we're not real sure where it's going to end. But then God pulls us off that train and puts us on a train with a real end in mind. In February 1943, the 11-year-old uh, Simon Gronowski was sitting and eating breakfast with his mother and sister in Brussels, Belgium when two Nazi Gestapo agents burst into their home and arrested them. They were taken to Nazi headquarters, which was used as a notorious prison and torture chamber. Gronowski later recalled those shocking days and weeks when he admitted that his parents had only made one mistake in their lives, and that was that they were born Jewish a crime punishable by death in Nazi-ruled territories. A few months later, on April 19, 1943, a train loaded with 1,600 Jewish prisoners left the Nazi detention camp in Belgium. And you know what its destination was? The infamous Auschwitz. Most of the Jews knew they were being deported, but none had any idea they were en route to mass execution. Conditions in the train were atrocious. The people were packed like cattle. There was no food or drink or seats. And soon after the departure of Auschwitz, something surprising happened. The train train convoy was attacked by three members of the Belgian resistance. The train was stopped by the trickery of the Belgian resistance as they put a red light on the tracks. One of resistance members quickly ran up to uh, the car that uh, Simon and his family were in, and he cut the, the wire uh, with pliers, uh, the wire that was binding the door shut. The door opened and he shouted, Sorte! Sorte! Get out! 
Get out. Many jumped despite gunshot that was going on around them as people were trying to get out of the train cars. Gronowski's mother, in the process of all this, saw her chance. She took money in her pocket, gave it to Simon, pushed her way to the door, and then let Simon out of the car. Simon, in fact, jumped. And German guards shot his way but missed. He tumbled down a slope, got up, ran, walked, ran, walked all night long. And finally, he found shelter with sympathetic Belgians and Christians in the area. Simon Gronowski survived the war. His mother and his sister did not. Nevertheless, Simon grew up And he committed himself to making a difference in his society there in Belgium. He became a lawyer. And after years of silence with his story, he finally began to write. He wrote a book and now speaks so that, quote, people will protect freedoms in their country. Someone delivered from a terrible end, but also someone who grows up and makes a difference for God. That is what Paul is getting at here in Romans chapter 6. Just like Simon Gronowski's story, Paul dives into the real life implications of following Jesus from daily life as we have been rescued by the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul is giving reason after reason why Christianity makes a difference in how we do the daily thing of living. And in verse 1 of chapter, uh, of chapter 6, he really gets right to the core issue. He's not afraid to ask the big question. He asks, what then? So what? He had previously in chapter 5 uh, said that uh, in as much as sin abounds in us, grace superabounds, way overwhelms our sin in Christ at the cross. And so now in our text, he returns to the very same question. What then? And the reason he does is in verse 14, he says another profound thing. He says, uh, sin will have no dominion over you if you are in Christ by faith, since you are not under law, but you're under grace. And as a result, he asks this, what then? So what? With this profound truth that we're no longer under law, but we're under grace, what are we going to do with that? And why is he? And then he follows it up with a question that people would ask him. Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? In other words, because we're under grace and we're saved and forgiven, do we need to bother with the law? Does it even matter anymore? Does it even have any effect in our lives because we're forgiven after all? Right. That's the logic that goes with it. Paul responds with a resounding answer to this. He says, by no means, may it never be, no way, Jose. Grace does have a difference and even the law still has an effect in our lives, though it takes a different form with Christ. And so what he does in all this is he actually explains how living the Christian life uh, is played out relative to the law and of grace. 
And he does so by asking them a rhetorical question. Do you, that is Christians, not know, that is, don't you understand, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul is really getting into the larger point of this. He's saying, hey, if we have had our, had our lives changed by grace, it will make a difference in the way we live. And he's driving this uh, truth home by a key point that David iterated last week. Remember, David in the earlier verses talked about that we all in the end serve somebody spiritually. Uh, you know, he quoted a Bob Dylan, you know, you got to serve somebody. You remember that? Well, the actual word Paul uses here is that of slavery. Now, speaking to, to, to Romans and saying to them, you are slaves, they'd be going, what? It'd be like me telling you, you're slaves. And you go, well, I'm not a slave. Because in their minds, they're thinking slavery. Well, that's what happens when our Roman troops conquer a nation and they take captive some people and put them to work. Or when somebody is in real bad financial debt and there's just no way they can pay back their debt because they don't have credit cards, they don't have bankruptcy laws, they have to work for people to pay off their debt as, if you will, bond servants. Well, Paul is here is saying, look, in as much as people have to do those things in those cases, everybody has to serve somebody else. And Paul's assumption is that as a result, our natural spiritual state is we, if we're not in Christ, if we're not trusting him and following him by faith, we will be slaves to sin. Jesus himself said this in John chapter eight. Now, Jesus was talking to the Jews in John chapter eight. And the Jews were, were saying something to the effect of, hey, we're free men. We're not slaves to anybody, especially those dirty, rotten Romans who are ruling us right now. We are not answering to them. But Jesus says something very interesting. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So if by nature you actually do things that are against God's law, you are a slave to sin. And the implication is this. We all serve something. And in his case, he makes it two things, either sin or righteousness. And sin, in the case of sin, rather, sin can show up in forms of corrupt things. Sin can, uh, in service to sin, can show up in forms of idolatry. That is lo excessive love of very good things, created things. And yeah, sin can even, slavery can, of sin can be even uh, relative to self, that you make much of yourself. Slavery to sin, according to Scripture, is a dedicated life, a settled life of doing our own thing without God. Paul calls that state slavery. And he tells us where that terrible train of slavery goes to. Death. And he's talking about not just death as in your physical death, but also the spiritual death that goes on in relationships in this life. And yes, the death of eternal relationship with God in the next life. You see, you see it in your life regularly, don't you? 
When someone in your family or friend is doing something that's really destructive in your family or in your sphere of influence, even at work, doesn't it leave the smell and aroma of death around? That's what Paul, Paul is saying. That's the effect that sin has in this terrible train of death. But there is another train. And that is the train of righteousness that Paul talks about in our text. And righteousness has two aspects to it. The first is this. It's the commonly assumed version, which is right living. That is, living as God intended us to uh, live relative to His Word, or more specifically, His law. That is what the common assumption is, and there's certainly an element of that in this text. But there is a second aspect of righteousness that we so easily forget when God calls us to right living, so to speak. And it's this, it's Christ's righteousness. Throughout the whole book of, of Romans, God, I mean, Paul has been talking about Christ's righteousness, how he lived a holy life for us, that's right, he lived a holy life on our behalf so that his life is considered our life. He died for the ways that we have sinned against God on the cross, taking the penalty that we deserve. And he was even resurrected to overcome physical death and to overcome that in terms of its hopeless end. We have hope as a result of that. Don't you realize Christ obeyed the law for you? Christ was utterly obedient to what the Father called him to, to give up his life for you and for me. And Paul has said that that righteousness of Christ, received by faith, justifies us once and for all. But what's beautiful about that is that Paul, in our text, is saying you can internalize that and it will change your life. It'll actually affect how you live with your life, if you really get what grace is about. Here's what Paul is doing here in this text. He's calling us to righteous living, to different ways of handling our lives. So here, this begs the real question. Who do you present yourself to? Like he talks about in verse 16. Who in your life dominates the way you think, how you handle life, what thing drives you the most in life? If you are trusting Christ for your salvation and following Him as Lord, you will reflect His righteousness in your life. Indeed, if you are not following Jesus in your life, your life will reflect what you are following, whatever that is. Now, Somebody at this point will say, now, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to actually live a more righteous life. Yeah, that's right. But somebody might say, well, how? How can anybody say that? Because all of us know when we start following Jesus, we still mess up. We still do yucky things and sin. How can anybody be confident that we can get on the righteousness train on the way to eternal life? Well, look at verse 17 with us. Paul says, but... Thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you're committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Did you hear that? He says, when you receive Christ, your very personhood changes. You become, says it twice, you become. And the first thing he says is 
you become this. You become obedient from the heart to the teaching that was given. Now, this is what's extraordinary about this as well. He's saying God has done something great to change us so that we become something different. We are no longer slaves to sin. We become obedient. But and I love this little phrase, obedient from the heart. Man, that's good stuff for us. That's the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, the gospel working in us so that we change the way we live And I think Paul says, obedient from the heart for a particular reason. Remember, Paul was a Jewish Pharisee. And for many years, he believed that religion and living the good life or the right life relative to God came from the outside in, in conformity. In other words, obedience was by the law. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. He was used to not only trying to do that with God's law, but even creating a bunch of man-made laws to help uh, reinforce the rule of God's law. And his assumption as a Pharisee was this, that if you just get the rules down, you'll change. But here's the problem. The whole of Scripture, and even especially the New Testament, says the law has zero power to change you. Zero The law could never change you, folks. Really, it's grace that changes us. God's Holy Spirit working in us, the work of Christ applied to us, God's love felt, enjoyed, and appreciated with us. In other words, when we seek to obey God, we are to do it by faith in Christ. And that is a very different kind of obedience than by the law. We're used to give me the rule and I'll perform it. But Christianity is different. It's, the rule still matters, but you've got to go through Christ to obey the law. So this is what a Christian can say when he gets the law. And we're going to talk more about this in future talks. But when he gets the law, like love, Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor, yourself, ready, go. The Christian says, I can't obey this on my own, Lord. It's impossible for me because of the wickedness in my heart. You have to save me. You have to change me. You have to transform me, Jesus. I need you to forgive me. Show me what real righteousness is about. Transform my heart and turn me so that I want to be in relationship with you and live out of that relationship with you obeying the law. That's what's different about Christianity and how we live for Christ in righteousness. Second Paul Second thing, rather, Paul says is that is a major change that God has given is in verse 18. He says we become slaves to righteousness. This is the hard part about Christianity. The more you get to know God, the more you know his word and what he intends in the world, the more you know that our world is not the way it's supposed to be. And if we're really honest, we realize we're not the way we're supposed to be. And what God calls us to do is to call on him and to pursue what is right and good from the inside out, not the outside in. We as Christians live our lives with a sense of right purpose, 
of right intent, of right glory. That's what God's in the business of doing in us from the inside out so that we are servants, slaves of Christ. Next question. How does this happen? How does this happen? How are we changed from the inside out and serve Christ with any spiritual integrity? How does anyone get to this place? Well, the key is in verse 18. Don't miss this phrase. It says, having been set free from sin. This verb, set free, occurs twice in our text in verses 18 and 22. And there are three things to say about this, this idea of being set free. And the first is this. It's a passive verb. Okay, I know some of you have forgotten high school or college English, or some of you are just learning it if you're teenagers, but the passive verb, something's done to you, right? It's much less about what you do actively. Well, the whole point of that is that this whole text is full of passive verbs, as if to say, God has done something to you. He set you free with a Redeemer. You don't set yourself free. Boy, you got to start with that first. That is so key to understanding how you grow and put off the old of sin and put on the new of Christ. And next, Paul also says to be set free. That's the language of redemption. Redemption is marketplace imagery. It's where we get our name, Redeemer. In the ancient world, when someone owed a bunch of money or again was captured, Uh, In war, they were made slaves. And the only way you could get out of that slavery was either pay back the debt yourself or normally with people who had such a huge debt, they could never pay it like millions and millions of dollars. Somebody had to pay it for you. Then you could be free. That somebody was a redeemer. In John 8, again, Jesus tells us two things about himself as the one true redeemer. The first he says is this. The truth will set you free. Now, I've heard that in movies. I hear, you hear it's a popular phrase in culture and people are quoting Jesus and sometimes they don't even realize that the truth will set you free. But Jesus, right after that, says something else that goes with that phrase. And he says this, he says, the son shall make you free indeed. The implication is this. God has chosen Christ is our Redeemer and the gospel, the word of God spoken to you is the power of God unto salvation so that wherever you are in life with whatever struggle you have, whatever thing that just seems to haunt you and you feel like you're enslaved to as a as a habit, even a sinful habit. Jesus is the one Redeemer and you have to preach the gospel to yourself. In September 1862, at Antietam in Maryland, after the worst battle in American history, more lives lost in one day than any other battle Americans were in in American history, Abraham Lincoln had the chutzpah, he had the courage to speak the Emancipation Proclamation for the American slaves. He said... By, uh, by virtue of, his, of the power given to me, I do order and declare, quote, that all persons held as slaves are, are and henceforward shall be free. And that the 
the government of the United States will recognize and maintain the freedom of said persons. That was a great day in American history. No question from us on that. It was a glorious day for African Americans. But you know what? Jesus does something that's a different kind of freedom. It's not just political freedom. He has spoken into our lives in a way we have spiritual freedom. He proclaims our emancipation in the gospel. You have to tell yourself, I'm free. I'm free in Christ. Quote Galatians 1, which says that for freedom Christ has set us free. And the reason we have to quote that to ourselves is so often we go back to living like slaves. We think we are spiritual slaves when freedom is available and power is available from our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians says it this way, You were bought with a price, a costly price of Christ, dying on the cross for you, so that there is a permanent break with sin in your life. You don't have to submit. You can say no to sin, Satan, and the world. Because the power is not in you, but the power is, is in Him who is greater than Him who's in the world. Christ frees us. So when you become a Christian, you know what you say when sin, Satan, and the world comes to you and tempts you? You say, you know, once I was under your management. Once I was under your management and once I used to just submit to you because I just didn't know any better. I was like, oh yeah, I got sin. But now that I'm a Christian, now that Jesus is Lord of my life and He has saved me and loved me, not because of anything I've done, just because of Him and how wonderful He is, I'm under new management. I'm under new management. That becomes your new phrase. I've been set free. I'm under new management. I don't have to answer to you impulse of sin. At this point, Paul brings us to the crescendo of his argument in this case in verses 19 through 20. And his crescendo gets to this question that we start at the beginning. Where is this train headed? Where is the train of us following Jesus really going versus us saying, man, forget just all this law stuff and obedience. Let's just live it up a little. We're forgiven after all. Where is that headed? Well, Paul tells us in verse 19 of our text, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That is, you didn't care about righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end. The final station you pull in on this train ride of righteousness with Jesus is eternal life. It's eternal life. Two tracks here he's talking about. First track is the slave track, the slaves of sin track. And this uh, has impurity and lawlessness as a part of it. And you know what impurity and lawlessness is? You ready? It's terrible things. Awful things. I mean, really bad stuff like gossip. 
like uh, unforgiveness. I mean, awful stuff. And what he says is when you give in to that, it creates a spiral and goes into more lawlessness, a spiral downward, out of control, into further sin, which really ends up being an addiction. This is how addiction happens. And all of this leads to death. Listen to what James 1 says. James 1 says, Let no one say he's tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted, nor does God tempt. But each person is enticed and lured by his own desires. And their desi- these desires, when they have conceived, give birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, turns to death. There is a second track. And this is the track that Paul is encouraging us to get on so we can ride the train of righteousness to eternal life. And it goes like this in our text. We become slaves and servants of God once Christ has redeemed us. We serve His ways and His righteousness. And that leads to a life of obedience. Remember, it's obedience that comes from faith, not just trying harder. And from that... Obedience goes to another stop for Christians that he mentions here in our text. He says sanctification. That's a word that a lot of us haven't heard or some of us haven't heard. That means becoming more holy, looking more like Christ in how we live, actually honoring God the way he intended us to live in holiness. Holiness is a regular stop for us as Christians on the train towards eternal life. And I got to tell you, this is where most evangelicals, that's right, Bible believing people like us, get off the track. We hear Christ sets us free, and we think, I'm forgiven. I can do anything, I can do what I want. But Paul is saying, oh no, Christ sets us free from sin, but he also sets us free to live a different life, a very different life. 1 Peter 2.16 says this, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Oh, what a lovely summary of what we've been saying. Let me ask you something. Have you ever thought, man, the way my life is going, I just feel dead. I feel dead. I want to feel more alive. That's why I try to do more exciting things and even it could be religious things, it could be things of the world, whatever it is. I try to do more exciting. I just want to feel alive. Have you ever thought that? Well, here's what the Bible says. You want to feel alive? Pursue holiness. That's where you get life. It's pursuing holiness by connecting with Christ and lining your life up more and more with what He calls you to live in His Word. That's where we find life. Some of you might say, I don't know, Dean, it's hard to give up some habits. And it seems like I've been trying forever to do things a certain way. I don't know if I'm ever going to get this straight. I try and try, but I don't seem to change. Here's my encouragement to you. Are you trying and trying with your own effort? Are you trying and trying by using the American dream, which is just do these five things and you'll get what you want? 
Well, I got news for you. You can never grow and become more holy and sanctified without meaningful relationship and connection with Jesus Christ. First, by actually being saved by grace through faith and trusting in Him, that's where real change begins. But then regularly going back to Him again and again, every day, I need You, Lord. I need You in my life and relationship. I want to know You. And I want to live with You and for You in my way. What inspires that? What leads you to that? Henry Nouwen tells a story of an old man who is praying by a river in India. As he opened his eyes, he saw a scorpion floating on the river. As the scorpion was pulled close to the tree that he was sitting near by the river, it got caught up in the roots sticking in the river. The scorpion struggled to get out of the water, and he couldn't. And the man watched all this going on. So the man actually got in a position on the roots of the tree, stretched out his hand, and tried to rescue the drowning scorpion. But as he touched the scorpion, the scorpion jerked and stung him on his hand. The man withdrew in pain. But he settled himself on the roots yet again and tried again. This time he tried to grab the scorpion in another way. The scorpion was intimidated, stung him yet again. At this time, his hand's starting to swell because of the poison. There's even a little blood. Meanwhile, a passerby was walking by and watching this man reach down and be stung by a scorpion. And he says to the old man, he says, what are you doing? Why would you reach out and try to save something that is an ungrateful, useless animal that's going to end up dying anyway? And the old man stopped, turned around to the passerby and said, Friend, because it is the nature of a scorpion to sting, why should I give up my nature to save You think when you blow it as a Christian or you're stuck in some sin that God is done with you. (laughs) Just because you're stinging him with your sin doesn't mean he still isn't leaning in. It doesn't mean he still doesn't want to save you right now. Tomorrow, the next day, the next year till you take your last breath. Don't ever stop believing that God doesn't want to save you just as much now as when you first discovered Him. His love for you never stops. And His proof of that was Jesus dying for you and for me so that we might be cleansed once and for all from our sin, but also experiencing the regular cleansing of our sin. Jesus is in the business of delivering you in justification once and for all, but every day in sanctification over and over and over and over again. Don't ever stop believing God wants to save you that way. So that brings us then to the end game. Why should we live like we are uh, no longer slaves to sin, but now slaves to righteousness. Why do we even bother? We'll look at verse 23, one of the most famous texts in Scripture, and what that says. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why bother? 
mean, why bother trying hard to live the Christian life, which is hard to do? It's very difficult to give up what you want for what God wants. That's not natural. Why would you bother? Well, the answer is here in this text. The wages of sin is death. What we are due, the just payment for the way we have sinned against God is death. Eternal death, even the taste, the, the temporal pieces, uh, t- temporal aspects of death in this life. But the free gift, it doesn't cost anything of us. Of His grace, which is the opposite of what we deserve, the opposite of justice is eternal life in Jesus Christ. By God's free grace, we are no longer slaves to sin. By God's free grace, we we can live like we have a destiny. By God's free grace, we can live like we've died and gone to heaven. Now, as the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Paul is saying, get on the train of grace. Because God has delivered you from sin through Christ alone. In conclusion, you've probably never heard of Alexandra Dragood. She grew up during World War II in Europe. Her family died in World War II, just like Simon Gronowski's family died. At age 13, she was orphaned. And as a result, she was herded into a cattle car to go to Dachau, Germany, yet another infamous concentration camp. She said, they did a lot of experiments on me. One of them, she said, was they took out my tonsils without anesthesia. By day, the Nazis had her dig mass graves. By night, she herself wanted to die. She had long rejected God, long ago in her life, even at her tender age. But one night, she found herself praying that God would take her life and end the pain. You know what she said? She said, uh, God instead did a very interesting thing. He gave her a new heart. Since the end of World War II, Good moved to America. And since that time, she has rescued more than 250 Russian orphans, helping them find mothers and fathers in our nation. At her darkest moment, when she all wanted it to end in death, Christ set her free. And the result was she made the difference in lives of others. That's because she was a different person with a different end in mind. Christ freed you from sin, and you're no longer, as a Christian, on the train towards death, but He also put you on a new train of righteousness so you would give your life away. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. I promise you, you'll end up enjoying the train of eternal life like you'd never hoped or dream. Let's pray. Lord, we come to You now and we thank You that You have given us eternal life through Christ. And as we think about this text and 
the language of bondage and slavery, there is no question that people in this room, Lord, are probably struggling with this whole issue of sin in their lives in a way that they even feel bound. And I pray today that in your grace, you would meet them where they are and that they would call out on you in those quiet moments at home, in the car, wherever they are, even today, and you would meet them. And that in the process of meeting them, Lord, you would show them how loving and faithful you are, that even while we sting you, Lord, you are leaning in to rescue. Thank you, Lord, that you rescued us and that you rescued us and freed us to live a different life in Christ. Lord, you, that that's just a taste of what's to come in heaven. In Christ alone, we thank you. Amen.